Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've got a little bit longer show today, but it is a phenomenal show, that's for sure. Phil, tell us what's who's on today. Well, today we have uh, Paul David Tripp, and I'm I've been very excited for this interview to be able to do the interview for a while. Um, mainly, you know, one of the reasons is because I, I've really gotten into his uh, devotional, which is a fantastic devotional. We talk about it a little bit. It's called New Morning Mercies. I'm not a devotional guy, but uh, this is one that I actually have used, and it's been something that's touched me in a lot of ways. So, I, I've been excited to do this interview with with uh, Dr. Tripp, and after doing it, I was not. Uh, I was not disappointed. He came with a lot of great wisdom for us. I know that you folks out there are in for a treat. This uh, Dr. Tripp has, has written about 20 books, just just under 20 books. He's done about 14 uh, teaching series. He's spoken thousands of times. And, you know, we tried to distill it down as much as possible, but it was still about an hour interview. So we're going to get right to it with uh, Paul Tripp. He's author, speaker, pastor. We'll come back out of it with uh, Karen and I talking a little bit about what we thought about the interview. So enjoy, take some notes, and I really look forward to hearing back from you guys about what you're learning from from Dr. Tripp and all the other episodes that we've been able to do. So here it goes. Dr. Tripp, it is so great to have you here with us on the Think Orphan Podcast. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, Dr. Tripp, I know a lot of, a lot of our listeners uh, probably know a little bit about you, um, but, uh, you know, what I was hoping for is if you could just share with us a little bit uh, about your story and really how you got to be doing what you're doing today. Maybe share a little bit with them about your, uh, your adoption and um, how you, how you kind of came to that with your wife. Well, my, my uh, sort of ministry mission statement is connecting the transforming power of Jesus Christ to everyday life. Uh, I think that so many people have a gap in the middle of the gospel. They understand the gospel past. That's the forgiveness we've received in Christ Jesus. They understand the gospel future, the eternity we will all share because of God's grace. But they don't understand the present benefits of the work of Christ, what I call the nowism of the gospel, the way that the gospel changes the way you approach everything in your life. and. Uh, maybe in the middle of that is this significant thing called parenting. Mm. So that that's what gets me up in the morning every day. That's what causes me to write the things I write to to look at life through the window, through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've been married for 46 years. Uh, trying to think of my age, I was married at seven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have four grown children, and my wife and I uh, adopted our daughters, the third in row, and she is adopted. And the, what led to that was that we live in Philadelphia, and we were reading a book by a lawyer from the Philadelphia Child Service Department called Throwaway Children. Hmm. It was about the horrible things that happened to children as a result of adult decisions, and we literally wept our way through that book. And at the end of the book, uh, looked at one another and said, our home is a resource. 
And if we could rescue one child, that would be a life well lived. Uh, we got a hold of Bethany Christian Services and started the process. Uh, Nicole is mixed racial and uh, she, uh, her birth was the result of a sexual relationship at the end of a prom. Her mother uh, was pressed by her family to abort her, but she would not do that. And she was rejected by her family, but she stood strong, shot for a place that would take care of her daughter because she knew she wasn't capable of and uh, came across Bethany Christian Services. And we were the benefactor of all of that. Received Nicole about four months old. Yeah, I know that we'll get into some of the some of the lessons you've learned in that as we as we talk through some of the issues we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, and and for the folks out there, the, if you if you haven't uh, been in, introduced to Dr. Tripp uh, before this interview, I, intru- I encourage you to go out and grab some of his books, listen to some of the resources that are online. Uh, PaulTripp.com uh, is the website, and you know there there's normally in pre- preparing for an interview, I'll read all the books of the the guest and, and listen to everything that they've, they've done. Um, th- that was very difficult in this instance. I did read several of your books <laughs> and, and, and I did listen to a lot of your talks. Um, and, and, and with that, actually, uh, a couple themes, uh, did shine through at least for me and particularly where I am right now, what God's doing in, in and through, you know, in my heart. Um, and those two of those things are, are really the importance of eternal perspective and a biblical worldview. Uh, a couple of your quotes from from your uh, New Morning Mercies devotional, which I absolutely love and strongly recommend, are one is the fact is that you cannot make sense out of this life unless you look at it from the vantage point of eternity. And the other quote is, you're always preaching to yourself some kind of worldview, some kind of gospel, if you will. So the question I have for you is, you know, why is understanding, believing, and living out a biblical worldview and an eternal perspective so important really in everything we do when the world is warring against us to do that, and particularly for the purpose of this conversation, the work we do with orphan and vulnerable children. So, so what's important to understand is that every human being is a philosopher. Every human being is a theologian. Every human being is an archaeologist who will dig through the mound of his existence and try to make sense out of his life. Now, that we're all meaning makers. Uh, we we want to know who we are. We want to know what life is about. We want to have a sense of, of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And God wired us that way so that would drive us to him. So you're, you're if I could say it this way, you're, you're always nailing your life to some kind of story, something that makes sense out of what's going on in your life. And the the ultimate story of stories, the, the one true explanatory story is the story of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us who we are. It tells us what we need. It tells us what life is, is about. It tells us where to find hope and peace of heart. And it tells us how to secure our destiny. Uh, and so you are, you are always in that way living theologically. You're always preaching some kind of theology to yourself. And, and so I'm interested in helping people to ask the question, what theology is making sense out of 
your life? Is it biblical? Is it rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ or is it something else? Yeah, and, and you've, you've said in a, in a sermon that you gave on, on eternity, um, you talked about how our society is trying to take eternity away from us. Um, can you explain what you meant by that and really how that affects our lives? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the profound things that's not talked about much is that somewhere in the history, let's, let me say Western culture, although this is true of the cultures around the world, Western culture happens to be my culture, that you, you could have gone back a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, and almost everybody on the street would have some kind of belief in eternity. That meant they knew that this present moment was not all that there is. And so you don't just live for today, for the pleasures you can cobble together for today, the power you can get for today, because this, is, this moment is meant to be a preparation for a final destination. Well, as, as uh, the world and human beings backed away from a biblical worldview, part of that is we've been robbed of eternity. So all you're left with is this present moment. And so, so the, the purpose of life is just get, get all the pleasure and all the power and all the possessions you can get because this is all there is. And that's just the, the exact opposite of the, the life that the Bible describes to us and the way that scripture calls for us to live. And, and let me say this, it, it's, it's dysfunctional and destructive because no one, no parent, no child, no husband, no wife, no neighbor, no citizen has the power to turn this moment into paradise. This moment will never be paradise. We live in a broken world. We are flawed people in need of redemption. Paradise is coming. But if I, if I try to think that my marriage will deliver to me paradise or my job will deliver me to me paradise or my children will deliver to me paradise, I'm going to be an angry, hurt, discouraged, and hopeless human being. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's, there's one thing that, you know, we, we know that working with orphan and vulnerable children, it's that, right? We live in a broken world and, oh, absolutely. and you know, that actually leads me to the next, next question after you, it's, it's, you talk about the doctrine of uncomfortable grace, um, in, in a few of the different things that you've written and talked about and that God's grace does not always come in the form of comfort and encouragement. Can you flesh that out a little bit for our audience? Well, sure. It's, it's very clear as you read, uh, both the narrative, the stories of scripture, and the teaching paths of scripture, that God will take us where we haven't intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. Uh, his grace doesn't always come to us in comfortable forms. Uh, over the last uh, two and a half years, I've had a tremendous amount of physical suffering, uh, six surgeries, lost 65% of my kidney function, uh, physically I won't ever be the same again. Yet at the same time, that has been a very uh, significant 
uh, and positive spiritual journey for me. It has produced uh, the most wonderful things in in ministry. Uh, that's God taking me where I would have never chosen to go in order to produce new uh, fruit in my life. Uh, that's that's grace. I hear people all the time who are going through the unexpected, crying out and asking the question, where is the grace of Jesus? And they're getting it. Mm. But it's not the grace of relief. It's not the grace of a release. It's the uncomfortable grace of transformation, but it's grace. Right, it's that refiner's fire, right? You sometimes have to go through mm. that. Um, and, you know, and I think with that, in uh, Dangerous Calling, you talk about the fact that we have an awe of God problem. Um, the book was written really to pastors, but people in ministry. But really, I think, goes to everyone in our, in our world mm. today, really, that um, you talk about, you know, with familiarity comes apathy often, and we just don't have an awe of God. Why, why is that such a big problem to us? And I think it goes to the, everything else we've been talking about so far, but can you just go into that a little bit specifically, well, uh, particularly those people in ministry? Sure. We're, we're hardwired for, for awe. Uh, you, you will always live in awe of something. There, awe of something will always capture your heart, and what captures your heart will control and shape your behavior. Uh, again, that, that capacity, that uh, desire to be blown away and for wonderment is, is wired in us because it's meant to drive us uh, to God. And so life this side of eternity is always a war of awe. It's a, it's a battle for what awe will capture my heart. Now, by God's plan, all of God was meant to be the deepest, most influential motivation in my life. You could ask me why treat my wife the way I do. I should say because of my awe of God. Why do you spend your money the way you do? Because of my awe of God. Why do you think about your sexuality the way you do? Because of my awe of God. Why do you use your possessions the way you do? Because of my awe of God. Why do you parent your children the way you do? Because of my awe of God. That of God is that deep influential motivation. Now for ministry, what you have to realize is that the people that you're ministering to have often, often given away the awe of their heart to something in creation that they don't know it. They're in the midst of an awe battle. And one of the, the, the important functions of gospel ministry of preaching is, is to give people back their awe of God again. Psalm 145 says, one generation shall commend your works to another. Uh, I'm supposed to pass down awe of God to the next generation because it's only when I live in awe of God that I'll live the way God wants me to live. Think about this. Breaking God's law it's not first a law problem. It's an all problem that produces a law problem. Think of the 10 commandments. Where do they begin? They begin with worship of God. Mm -hmm. They begin with a call to live in awe of God. Because if you don't live in awe of God, you won't keep the rest of the commands. That's the way it works. Right. 
Right. It all starts with that. Um, and, and that's a good way to transition segue into the, the idea of strong marriages and, and families. And, and we talk about that a lot on the show, the, the, the importance of family strengthening in alleviating the orphan crisis. If we can keep families together, there will be a lot less orphan children, um, in the world. And, you know, with that, I, you know, I've heard you say uh, that there are two essential components to a successful marriage. And, and you talk about those being humility of approachability and courage of loving honesty. Um, can you speak to that and, and really the, how we as husbands and wives can live that out and why those two components are so critical to successful marriages? So, so what I have to understand and what you have to confess, and I'll explain this, is that my biggest problem in marriage is me. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus came so that those who live will no longer live for themselves. The DNA of sin is selfishness. My wants, my needs, my feelings. I drag that selfishness into my marriage. And, and I don't so much need to be rescued from my wife. I need to be rescued from me. And, and marriage is a wonderful place for that rescue to take place. Because what marriage invariably does is it exposes the true thoughts, desires, and attitudes of your heart. And, and so it's not a mistake that God put marriage in the middle of the unfinished pro- process of transformation that he's working in our hearts and lives. Because marriage is meant to be an instrument of his transforming work. Now, the only way that's going to happen is first, if I humbly confess that I need help. And that if I confess that I need help, then I'm committing myself to be approachable so that the person I live with who sees me with accuracy can actually help me. And, and second, I have to commit myself to the courage of loving honesty, willing to step into difficult, tense moments because I love that other person and I want to be God's tool in their life. Think of it this way. If you're a husband and wife or wife and your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin, weakness and failure of your spouse, it's never an accident. It's always grace. God loves that person. He's put him in a family of faith and he will reveal the need of that person to you so you can be his tool of rescue and restoration. That's, that's the plan. Now, I want to just confess, I still struggle to do this well. Mm-hmm. Because for all of us, when, when we're approached, the natural instinct is to wrap our robes of righteousness around us and to defend ourselves. Or to turn the table and let the other person know that we we know that we're not the only sinner in the room. All of that is resisting what God has planned for our good. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've really appreciated with all, with all your work, all, all your books and your, your talks is just your, your humility. I mean, I think the humility of approachability has shown through in your, in your work that uh, you don't have it all figured out. And I think that's what makes it so powerful um, that none of us do, right? None of us, we're all right. we're just taking one, put one foot in front of the other. Um, and another mm. place that you've done that, and I think you talked about the selfishness really is, is borne out when you, when you get married and when you start seeing that you're, you're very selfish. And I think the other place that is, is in parenting, you know, I've talked about, I've never realized how selfish I am until I get home from work every day and I sit down and my kids are, you know, needing me and wanting me. And I sometimes don't necessarily want to do that. Um, but I know that that's, you know, what God has called me to do. And I mm. absolutely love doing it when I do it, but you know, it's not always the, the guttural response. And, you know, you recently wrote a book on parenting and it's called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically, radically Change Your Family. And I want to talk about a couple of the, um, the, the, the principles, the gospel principles that you talk about in that book. I'm not, we're not going to be able to get through all of them. Um, and and I, I definitely want everyone to go out and, and, and engage this book. You know, there's all kinds of videos on it as well. Um, uh, like I said, PaulTrip.com. There's also a Paul Tripp app you can go to and see some of these videos to give you a little... Um, ideas of each chapter, but I strongly recommend getting this book and really diving into it. But today we're going to talk about a couple of principles. And the first one, which kind of goes throughout the whole book is this, this idea of ambassador versus owner, um, with our children. And, um, can you talk to that? Uh, and not, it's not just with our children, it's really with everything that we have here on earth, but, but in the concept, in the context of parenting, uh, how does this ambassador versus owner bear out? And I know you use it in particularly in the, with the concept of authority in the book um, mm. to, to and, and how that can flesh out this this battle between ownership and ambassador mentalities in our parenting. So uh, there's there's only two ways to conduct myself as a parent. I conduct myself as an owner or an ambassador. Ownership parenting is driven by this. What do I want uh, for my children, what do I want them to be and what do I want to get from them and what power do I have to produce that? The problem with ownership parenting is it puts me in the center. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I think I need. It's about my reputation, my identity, my power, my control. Uh, and the children then become a vehicle for me getting what I want out of my life. And, and sadly, even for many well-meaning Christian parents, that's their approach. And, and that approach is about control and reputation. And uh, in moments of discipline, you, the greatest offense is the offense against you. How dare you do this to me? How could you do this after all I've done for you? Don't you know what my day's been like? That's all ownership stuff. And it never will ever produce what needs to be produced in the hearts of your children. Ambassadorial parenting says this, that I'm an ambassador and that if you think about that, the only thing an ambassador ever does is represent. I've been put on earth and in relationship to these children in order to represent what God wants to do and what God 
is alone able to do in the life of these children. Uh, so my parenting is driven by his message, his methods, his character. My call is to faithfully represent his message, faithfully represent his methods, faithfully represent his character. And so think of how beautiful this is. God, who we can't see and we can't hear, makes his invisible authority and his invisible grace visible in the lives of children by sending parents of authority and parents of grace to represent him. Parents, that means you're the look on God's face. You're the tone of his voice. You're the touch of his hand. You're his attitude. That's your position. Now think about what this means for authority. It means I don't have a right to exercise authority any way I want to exercise it. Whether that's angry authority or lazy authority or selfish authority, because I'm meant to represent God's authority. That means every time I exercise authority in the lives of my children, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. And the reason that's important is our children don't come into the world loving authority. They come into the world as little self-sovereigns, wanting to rule their own lives. You know, those little, those little fights about uh, what to eat are not about diet. This child hasn't read a diet book. They're about authority. This child says, you won't rule me. You won't tell me what to put in my mouth. Those, those battles about when to go to bed are not about sleep. This child hasn't done a sleep study and saying, I only need four hours. They're about authority. And so what I want to do is present authority as a loving thing, a tender thing, a gracious thing, a guiding thing, a protective thing, uh, so that my children will begin to think authority is a beautiful thing and it produces good things in my life. Now, if I, if I exercise authority in a selfish way or in an angry way, a me-centered way that hardens the rebellion against authority that's already in the lives of my children. So let's let's play that out a little bit more with with that. How would you say the ambassador role would come into that situation? Let's say, you know, not that I've ever had to experience this with my children, but if let's hypothetically say one of my children said, I don't want to go to bed at 930 like you told me I needed to go to bed tonight. Um, you know, and I'm, I need to stay up till 1030 because I'm older or I have homework or whatever it is. How would you come in to engage that? So you have, you have, you have, you have two choices here. You have one to say, if, if I have to tell you one more time to get in bed, you will never forget this moment. Now get your little rear end and get up in bed because you don't want to have to deal with me. Now that'll probably get a response, mm -hmm. but there's nothing good that's happened in the heart of the child. Parents understand this. Your problem is not your child's behavior. Your problem is your child's heart. 
And, and so parenting is about parenting the heart because it's the heart that controls behavior. So in, in all of those kinds of moments, I'm asking the question, what does God want to do in this moment with my child and how can I be part of it? What bad thing has God revealed? What good thing does God want this child to see? What kind of conversation do we need to have? Now, if the, if the child continues to resist, there's, there's gonna be a need for discipline, but listen, discipline is never enough. Because if, if, if you could discipline your children into the right kind of life, Jesus would have never had to come. It's just not enough. And so I'm always asking the question, how can, how can I be used of God in this moment to get at issues of the heart? Because every time I do that, I give the spirit of God an opportunity to work in the heart of that child and create change I have no ability to create. Hmm. Yeah, that and you talk about that a couple couple issues you just you talked about there that are that are fleshed out in detail throughout the book. But the first one was disobedience is always a heart issue, and you you definitely touched on that there. Which brings us to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the idea of power and and the fact that we are as human beings powerless to change the heart of another human being. Um, with that, yeah, it, it, yeah go ahead. Go ahead. I just, I was just going to say, it's, it's one of the scariest things for a parent to confess, to admit that, that there's a way in which I've been called to a job that's impossible for me. Because what my, what my children actually need, change of heart, transformation of heart, a rebellious heart turned into a willing heart, a doubting heart turned into a believing heart, uh, a hateful heart turned into a loving heart, a demanding heart turned into a, a giving heart. I have no ability to produce that whatsoever, none. And if, if I assign to myself that ability, I will end up doing things and saying things that I should not do. I think there are so many well-meaning Christian parents who wake up in the morning, exhausted and frustrated and discouraged. They, they once again load the total welfare of their child on their shoulders because they believe that it's their job to create change. Parents, I, I want you to hear me say this. There's nowhere in the Bible where God calls you to change your children. Nowhere. What God calls you to do is to be a tool in the lives of your children of the change that only he can create. And that's a very, very different way of thinking about parenting. Absolutely. And it also, it, it relates to the idea of rest in parenting, the importance of that. Can oh, you speak absolutely. To that? Because, sure, you know, you, you could argue that that once I understand that this is not my job, that, per, that lifts a huge load off my shoulders. And then when I add to that, the reality that my savior, who I'm called to represent, loves my children infinitely more than I do, loves them so much 
he was willing to die for their welfare and their redemption. And so I can rest because it's not my job to change my children. I can rest because the Savior is in me and with me and for me, and he has the power that I don't have. I can rest because when I, when I function as his ambassador, he's willing to work in the lives of my children. And, and, and so I don't have to be frustrated. I don't have to be discouraged. I can, I can live with hope because although I'm not able, God is able. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that, that takes us to the idea of, of identity, right? Cause I think that this, this is, this is definitely connected and, and intimately connected. I think to the idea idea of identity, our identity in Christ, we can rest in that identity. But so often in parenting, parents put their identity in their children and children put their identity in their parents. Why is it so dangerous for either of those to happen? Well, again, uh, human beings are always looking to something to give me, give them identity. Uh, who am I? What is my life about? What does it mean? And, and let me just say that, that nothing in this horizontal created world is able to give you lasting, sturdy identity. The identity in your job may seem like it's working, but that job can be gone in one conversation with your employer. Mm-hmm. Identity in your physical health may feel like a good thing, but one sickness can rob that from you. Identity in, in, in marriage may, may seem like it's working, but, but one argument, one accusation, one bad week can just rob you of that sense of security that comes from identity. And I have to say this, uh, looking to your children for identity is a miserable place to look for identity. Uh, I've never had one of my children get up in the morning on any morning in their life and say, how today can I give my dad a sense of worth? (laughs) How today can I give him meaning and purpose? Never, and they never will ask that question. And, And to place that burden on them is a crushing load. I, I was asked to counsel a 15-year-old boy. And when he came into my office, I asked him to tell me why he was there. And he immediately began to cry. And he talked about the fact that he never had any free time, that he got up early in the morning before school and did two hours of uh, practice on his musical instrument. After school, he was in... Uh, college preparation courses and private tutoring, uh, and and it was it, it was just a, a burden of work, 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 work. This this boy did nothing but work and sleep, squeezing in meals in between. When I asked to talk to his mother, I asked him to leave. I asked to talk to his mother. It became very apparent that this woman was living out, this mom was living out her identity in her son. Her life hadn't been what she would wanted it to be. She was gonna make sure that he was her success, 
he would give her reputation. He would turn her life around and she was crushing her son. When I suggested that I would rather talk with her than her son, she got very angry and grabbed him and stormed out of my office. I've thought many, many, many times what happened to that boy. There, there's what was happening. That was a parent trying to get her identity out of a child, out of a child and blind to the fact that she was crushing him in the process. And it would never work. It was already blowing up in her face. He would never ever deliver to her what she wanted. That's why uh, every parent needs to rest in their identity in Christ. In uh, you get your identity vertically, not horizontally. Uh, he is everything I need. He gives me meaning and purpose. He gives me that inner sense of well-being. He gives me rest of heart. Only he is able to do that for me. And when I'm resting in that, then I don't seek that in my children. Right. Now, this being the Think Orphan podcast, we do talk, obviously, about the adopted uh, orphaned children that are adopted and brought into a family. And, and you have parented both biological and adopted children. You've also talked and spoken to the issues that um, uh, the difference really between parenting biological and adopted children, particularly as it relates to identity questions and identity issues. Um, can you talk, speak to that, really the ideas of identity and belonging with adopted children and how that might be different from the conversations you might be having with biological children? Sure, you know, I, I, I don't think that we should ever uh, underestimate the disruption of the natural order that God uh, built into our, his world for his glory and our good. Uh, because when you disrupt that order, uh, it causes all kinds of difficulty. So that means I, I have to be aware that when an adopted child is welcomed into my home, they are now in a situation that God never intended a child to be in. God never intended that a child would, in his created order, would be raised by anybody other than his, his biological parents. Never intended that children would wonder where they come from and, and who they are and where they belong. And so there will be a battle in the heart of an adopted child that will not be in the heart, heart of your biological children. Because just the biology of the relationship, just the fact that they look like you and they have instincts like you and your hair and your eye color and all those things are huge, important markers of identity and belonging. They give me a sense of security. They give me a sense of place. They give me a sense of knowing myself. And, and when you bring a child in and they're immediately confronted with the fact they don't look like anybody. They don't have 
that natural camaraderie of viewpoint and all of those things, their instincts are a bit different. Uh, it produces profound questions of identity and belonging. Now, here's what this means, and I'm going to say it this way, although it could be upsetting for people to hear this. You will never turn your adoptive child into one of your biological children. There will always be differences. That doesn't mean they can't do well. It doesn't mean they won't know they're loved. It doesn't, doesn't mean those, those profound issues of identity and belonging uh, can't be dealt with and conquered, but they will have struggles that your other children will never have because they are in a situation that's outside of the the natural order that God uh, meant for his creatures. And I think it's just very, very important that we not uh, underestimate that. And so when, when my children come to me with questions of identity and questions of belonging, when they doubt their place or doubt their love, when the adopted child is a little more competitive for place than other children, I don't take offense at that. I don't get mad at that. I expect that to happen. I expect a child to wonder if they're loved as much as the biological children are. I expect them to wonder if their piece of cake is as big as everybody else's. I expect all of that because it's a natural extension of the identity and belonging struggle that they've been cast into just because uh, they're an adopted child. And I think that, that piece of cake example, I remember that from your, you, you had that experience where that didn't just come out of thin air. You had that experience with your, your adopted daughter. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, a multitude of those examples. I, I was, I was once in a, in a mall situation where all of a sudden out of the blue, my, daughter ask one of those belonging questions. And, and as, as I reflected on it, I thought, you know, that came out of the blue, but it didn't really come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. She's been carrying that with her. Right. It just came out of her mouth, but it's been, it's been her heart. She's, she's been thinking about those things, wondering about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a way in which our daughter is like us because she lived with us so many years, but there's, there's a way in which she's, She's not like her brothers, and that's, that's not a bad thing. That's just a thing that needs to be understood and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's, it's, there, are, there are things that are wired inside of her because of her biology that aren't wired inside of her brothers. Right. Well, that's natural. And, and so we should expect that, and we can't be naive to the, the huge formative impact of biology and the huge struggle of identity and belonging when you are not with your natural biological community. Absolutely. Well, I mean, anyone who has more than one child, I have five myself and they're all biological, but man, are they all different as you know, I'm sure with your children. Yep. And so we don't ever hesitate to say we got to parent 
our biological children differently. And so in this instance, there's obviously different issues, but I think it's the same principle really that we need to study each child, understand each of the issues and really speak to those, those issues with truth and love and, and vulnerability. Is that kind of, is that really here's where, what's going on? Yeah. And here's where I'm, the ambassadorial, ambassadorial thing really helps with and ad, helps an adoptive parent. My job with, uh, an adopted child is not to turn them into my clone. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. My job is to be used of God to rescue the heart of that child and, and rescue them from the dangers of all the heart struggles that may, may set them on a wrong path. You see, uh, an adopted child not only has the natural selfishness of sin and the natural rebellion of sin, but that's all mixed in with this identity and belonging stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I'm not just trying to turn them into my clone so our family's more comfortable and the child seems more like us. That's not my job at all. In fact, I wanna, I wanna celebrate the differences. I'm going to celebrate the uniqueness of this child. I'm going to celebrate the unique dignity that this child has and, and help them through the minefield of difficulties that come as a result of their adoption. Yeah, there's so much more we could talk about this, but I want to, I want to transition a little bit to something that's very related, obviously, but it's the idea of fatherlessness and, and, um, you know, first of all, I want to talk about, you, you have a, a, a brief video that I'll, I'll put on, on the show notes for this, but you talk about the two most important things a father can be teaching sons and daughters as they grow up, really the need for the, to talk about the love of God and the love of others. I want you to speak to that, but also I'd like you to talk about, you know, how we, um, as the church, we as, you know, community members in, in people's lives with fatherless children can um, work with single moms and or single dads for that matter for basically children that are missing a parent um, to really come into that uh, fray and help to fill what's missing um, can you can you speak to that so again this is this is representative stuff mm-hmm. a child is meant to learn love by being loved to learn the security and the healing and the rest of love uh, by being loved. And, and one of the ways that a child begins to understand the love of the great heavenly father is through the, the patient, uh, forgiving, faithful love of their earthly father. And so when, when a child doesn't have that, that's a, that's a big, significant spiritual thing. Or when the child has an abusive father that, that pictures the exact opposite of what God is like, uh, that's a horrible thing. I, I, I can't tell you how many adults I've counseled who are not encouraged by the God is our father passage in scripture because of the horrible relationship they had with their own father or people or adults who weren't really blessed by those passages because they didn't have that experience because they lived in a fatherless 
situation. Now, now what that means is we don't just give up hope because God has created the body of Christ. And there's a way in which uh, raising children is not just the job of parents, but it's the job of the whole body of Christ. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if godly, loving, mature, faithful men would provide for that fatherless child some sense of what it's like to be loved by a man, some sense of the, the faithfulness, the graciousness of a man, so that uh, there, there's a bit of a filling up of that gap. Now, that'll never be the same as your father being there, but it can be restorative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the body of Christ is meant to do. Yeah, that's something I talk to a lot of people about with the idea of mentoring. You know, it, it, so much of mentoring, it, it's not about fixing a child per se. It's about preparing them, you know, to, to, as I talk, preemptive family strengthening, that they can show them what it's like to have that love and how they can give that well, and, to and others. It's, it's, it's giving a child the experience of the thing that you want them to give themselves to. Mm-hmm. If I want you to give yourself to a life of love, I want you to experience the beauty of love. If I want you to be a forgiving person, I want you to experience forgiveness. If I want you to be faithful, I want you to experience faithfulness. That's, that's what parenting is about. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's pointing them to that, the, the truth, pointing them to that identity that is their only true identity. Mm. Um, well, that, uh, you know, I could, we could talk all day about these, these things. And fortunately, people out there, you guys have some uh, tremendously, uh, just some great resources um, and a great library of them from, from Dr. Tripp that I, I, we will put the, the links to that on the show notes. But I have a couple more questions that we ask all our guests, and I'm excited to hear your answers. The first one is, uh, what have you read, listened to, or watched recently that has impacted your thinking on, on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? You know, I, I have um, just, uh, just coming out during this season is a uh, Advent devotional, uh, 31 Days of Christmas devotional. Um, and so I've, I've lived with what we call the Christmas story over the last year. And I just, I've just been blown away by how much God loves us, by the extent to which he would go to rescue and restore, to wrap arms of love around lost, selfish, rebellious people. That he didn't look on us with disgust. He didn't speak to us with condemnation, but he invaded our lives with his grace in the presence of his son. And it's, there have been moments when, for me, I've thought, I want to be that kind of dad. I want to be that kind of man. Uh, I want to, I want to, I want to believe that there are, there are no forces on earth greater than godly love and Christ-centered grace. 
And I want to be part of that because if there's anything that has the power to rescue the troubled heart of an adopted child, it's the love of God. If there's anything that has the power to restore the heart of a troubled adoptive child, it's the grace of God. And I want to be part of that story because that story has a good end to it. Look forward to look forward to digging through that when it comes out. Um, the last question we have is: uh, What one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? <laughs> wow, it's a nice easy one to finish with. <laughs> well, you know, uh, this would be embarrassing to her, but I would say it's my wife, uh, Luella, is just a natural servant. She is 50 times more patient than I will ever be. Uh, She gives, gives, gives. She forgives quickly and moves on. Uh, She she exercises authority, but in a way that's never, ever abusive. She speaks truth, but never in a way that's unkind. Uh, God put me in a marriage with this woman because I need help. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I, I, I see that, that example. I'm not always thankful for it, uh, but it is surely, surely there. And um, there's, there's just moments where I just want to be, be by myself and not deal with people. And the well is still ready to give and ready to serve and ready to be hospitable. And um, I just pray every day that God blinds her eyes to what a bad deal she got. <laughs> I think many of us do that. Pray that same prayer. Yes, 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 definitely. Well, thank you so much. I, I know that the, oh, you're welcome. the, uh, I, I'm just thankful because I, and God placed this interview in my life at a time when uh, the research that I did was, uh, was spoke to me in many ways. So thank you. I'm sure that it's, oh, it's common that you are speaking to many in, in great ways. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Thank you for your, your vulnerability and in, in what you share and for the wisdom that you're just having God's wisdom speaking through you. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. God bless you and bless your work. Well, thanks again to Dr. Tripp. I, uh, again, I, I learned so much from the research going up to this interview and just listening to his answers throughout the interview. Um, I, I absolutely love what I get to do. And I'm thankful that you all out there were able to hear from this man who, who has been thinking about these issues for a very long time and fortunately has shared them with us, um, his thoughts on them and what God's been teaching him in his family and in his uh, pastoring of other, of other people. So, Karen, what, what, do you, what do you think about what you heard from Dr. Tripp and, and how it really um, can maybe help you but also help others out there? Yeah, I thought the the interview was really great. I was encouraged. I was definitely um, 
excited to read more of his his books. I've read a few of them, um, but I'm excited to to grab a couple more and, and dig a little bit deeper into that. One of the things that really stood out to me, um, I do a lot of work with families who've grown through foster care or adoption. And in that, I'm doing a lot of work with parent training and consultation and just kind of helping parents come alongside their kids and figure out how can we best teach? How can we best disciple? And uh, one of the things that he talked about pretty thoroughly was identity and identity in our kids' lives. And he talked about children by birth and then children who've joined families through adoption. And some of the things that he talked about, I was very encouraged to hear and I'm in just really agreement with him when we talk through the fact that, yes, we love our children the same. And I would say overall, we parent our children the same, whether it's a child by birth or a child through adoption. But in that, sometimes parents get confused because they don't quite understand that even though our parenting strategy should be the same, that a child's response is going to be different, particularly when their story includes adoption. And so I was encouraged to hear that. And I think it's great for parents to hear those things and understand that when our kids join our families through adoption, the lens with which they they hear our words and the lens with which they're a part of our family is always going to be there. And that doesn't mean that's a hopeless thing. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Personally, I'm so glad that my oldest children have a lens that includes their Ethiopian culture. I'm so glad that my daughter's hair looks exactly the way it looks and that she doesn't have red curly hair. Um, but as we're parenting of just remembering that there's story is their story and it's always going to be their story. And my goal isn't to create, you know, many me's or many my husband's in my oldest two children. It's, it's to um, help them to know that they're loved and they're valued and they're cherished and they're adored and that they have a place that they do belong within not only the Hutchison family, but within God's family. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that is, the, the reason I set up the interview the way I did and, the, and what I was hoping would come out of it. And I think it did really was, I think that's rooted in the understanding of the eternal perspective, right? It's rooted in the understanding of the biblical worldview that, that he talked about at the beginning of the interview. It was a longer interview, but I think that that, it was one of the things that I just said, what can I cut out of this? And there was nothing like I think it fits together, right? It is all over the place to a certain extent, but I think it all fits together in so many ways as we talked about, you know, we're talking about the identity of our children and not trying to create mini me's, Right. And then he goes to talk about the ambassador role, right? And you need that biblical worldview and the eternal perspective to understand that ambassador role really deeply that we are just pointing these, our children to Christ. And he said that something at the end that he said that really stuck out to me was we want to give the children an experience of the thing that we want them to give themselves to. Right. We want them to understand that they are children of God. We want them to understand who they are and whose they are, as you've talked about. And as I've heard so much on this on this podcast, people talk about that. And I think he said that in a different way. Right. He just wanted to He's basically saying we are ambassadors of Christ, not just to others and witnessing, but in our, to our children. Right. And so as far as it comes with identity issues, it's to understand that it's to understand where they come from, understand who they are. And to be able to point them to the only one that can have the give, give the true hope, and that's something that I think he the way you know if there's some kind of to, dis, to distill the 50 minutes or so that the interview down to something, I think that was what I really took away from it in a lot of ways was what he kept talking about is that God is the one who's going to change their hearts. God is the one who's going to do this for them. God is the one who's going to point them to where they're supposed to be, and He's using us to do that in some ways, right? We're a part of yeah. that, but then yeah, he. 
Yeah, go ahead. That's spot on. And I think where we get to that place too, to be able to have that is kind of wrapping into what he was saying kind of towards the beginning of our foundation, the foundation that that we have to parent our, our children in this ambassador role is because of the foundation that we have as we are in awe of God. And mm-hmm. so when we are parenting as we are in awe of God and that's setting the foundation for my parenting strategies and I'm making sure that I'm in control of myself and that my response, even when my kid for the 50th time does not put their socks in the dirty clothes basket, (laughs) that my response is loving and tender and gracious and it produces good things in him. It doesn't mean that he's not going to walk downstairs and put his socks in the basket. It just means that the way that I'm interacting with him, the way that I'm teaching him to solve that problem differently is coming from a foundation that, as Dr. Tripp was saying, is modeling that experience that we want our children to have with with Jesus, with God. And um, he talked about that too, even in marriage of understanding that the problem isn't my spouse, it's with me. The problem with my child isn't my child, it's with me. And I need to respond to that in a gracious way. That doesn't mean that there's not responsibility in both of those situations. Mm -hmm. It just means when I'm better in control of myself and I'm able to handle and speak into those situations in a much, much better, much better situation. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, Phil. I mean, you guys, maybe not in your house, but in my house, (laughs) I know I do a much better job in both of those arenas as wife and mom when I am in awe of God and Mm -hmm. I'm parenting from a Christ-centered perspective. But it's hard. Absolutely. No, and that reminds me something that I wanted to make sure everyone out there knew that I was 100% kidding when I talked about the putting my kids to bed part. And that was not a hypothetical. It actually happens regularly. So I just wanted to make sure you all out there know that I am not delusional. And I know that my household is not anywhere near perfect. And in our house, doing dishes is like kryptonite for any child as far as their behavior. If we ask them to do that, all of a sudden they turn into um, potentially demonic uh, children. And so, um, you know, but I love the way he talked about that. Going back to that is when he talked about, you have two, a couple choices there. You can either say, and it sounded like he, he'd been in my house when he said, <laughs> you have, you know, the fear right. of God is in you basically if you don't do this, or you could, you know, take it as a, a grace filled moment. And so it was something that it really struck me, and and uh, I I very much, very very much appreciated. And and what I loved too is, and this is why I really wanted to have him talk about it was the fact that there's nowhere in the Bible, as he said, where God calls you to change the heart of your child, and that this should be freeing and a release of a load off our shoulders. Not something that is bad or oh no, how come we can't change? No, it's it's freeing. It's like okay, we can do our best. We can do what God calls us to. And then he's going to be the one that will change our children and really everyone else that we come into contact with. That is our role is not to change anybody. So do you have any last thoughts before we, uh, before we go to the recommendations? Yeah, I think one more thing that I was thinking through related to, um, the identity piece, Phil is, um, I think it was towards the end when he was, I don't remember the exact example, but when he was saying, I think one, it was one of his children, um, that, asked a question about their story, like in a public setting. And one of the things that I want to encourage, um, families 
who have grown through foster care or adoption is that when we create a safe environment, when we create an environment where our kids know that they can talk to us about anything or they can ask us any questions, it's so incredibly powerful for children who have been in the foster care system or or who have been adopted because then they know that mom is safe or dad is safe or grandma's safe, whoever caregiver is, so that they can ask those questions that may have been, you know, kind of ping ponging around in their brain for weeks or months or years. When we create that space that is safe enough for our kids to ask those questions or or tell those stories. And I think that that goes back to um, what Dr. Tripp was saying about being an ambassador versus an owner that, Mm. um, you know, we're meant to be loving and and kind and gracious and, um, and biblical in those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's fantastic. And that's a good place to kind of, to cut off the conversation about Dr. Tripp. We could go on and on and on talking about this. And I hope that you out there, um, do engage it and do, you know, reach out to us through comments on, uh, the website or through an email to us, Facebook page, whatever it is, please engage with us and tell us what you're thinking. Tell us any questions you have, share any thoughts that uh, you have after, after hearing about it. We want, we want to have a conversation with you. We want this to be a conversation. We also would love for you to be able to rate, uh, review this, this podcast on, on iTunes, um, or wherever else you're, you're picking up this podcast that definitely helps get the word out there. And it gives us feedback that we take very seriously. So we'd love to hear your feedback on all that. Um, and, uh, right now though, we're going to go to the recommendations and, you know, I don't usually do this, but, uh, as I said early on in the podcast, uh, Dr. Tripp is devotional. Um, has really touched my life. One of my friends recommended it to me a couple of years ago. Um, and again, I, I have never found one that's really engaged me like this one. And it's New Morning Mercies. It's every day of the year. He, uh, he, he basically took what he had as, as little tweets that he had done and he expanded on them. And it's a few couple pages per day. And it's just, ideas and thoughts. A lot of the interview was, was based on some of the thoughts that he has in that book, but pretty much everything that, that I've read that he's written, I've definitely been touched by, and it's definitely, uh, really deeply helped me understand, um, a lot of these different issues. And even in the preparation for this interview, um, God used what I was reading and what I was listening to in, you know, specific examples in my life to help me get through some pretty tough, tough spots. So I definitely encourage you uh, to pick up New Morning Mercies um, and really anything. I don't think you'll be disappointed. There's also a Paul Tripp app. And I believe if you just put Paul Tripp into the Android store, the iTunes uh, store, you can, you'll be able to pull it up and it has all of his resources on there. And I encourage you to go pick that up as well. So as you're, as you're doing that, as you're continuing to listen to these podcasts, I just pray um, for each and every one of you out there that you will use all that you're learning to help you to love orphaned and vulnerable children around the world better and better every single day of your life. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.